If you struggle with feeling right or living right, then stay with me to discover the secret the devil doesn't want you to know about being holy. This is The Shut Up Devil Show, and I am Kyle Winkler, creator of the Shut Up Devil app, author of the book Shut Up Devil. I am all about shutting down the lies and struggles that keep you from thriving in God's design for your life. And I'm here to do it every single week with a live online audience where I teach and pray, and we just have a good old time. So join us live sometime on Thursdays at 8 central at kylewinkler.org live. Now on to the message. In this flesh of ours, we have a lot of feelings, right? The fact that we feel is probably one of the main characteristics of being human. And God designed us to feel, so you don't have to think that just because you feel something that it's automatically of the devil. But in the same way, you don't have to think that just because you feel something, it's always God either, okay? There needs to be some discernment here. But there is a feeling that is one of the oldest feelings known to humankind that's definitely not of God. In fact, it's one of the foundational feelings of the devil. It may be the greatest feeling that Jesus came to overcome. A new person in Christ has no business feeling it. I know it's not fear. I know some of you were guessing that. But let me show you. Got to go way back in the beginning, back to Genesis, back to Adam and Eve, back to when the first couple fell to the devil's bait in Genesis 3, 7. Take a look at this. At that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. They felt shame. You know what shame is? Maybe some of you have heard it a lot as a child. Did you have parents who would say, shame on you? That's about the worst thing, by the way, that you can say to somebody. I teach on this so much that sometimes I think, I don't need to talk about this again. I've shared it a thousand times. But I always get someone who writes in to say, I never heard that before. It set me free. In fact, that just happened a few days ago. So I'll explain this yet again. A lot of people confuse shame with guilt. Guilt is the fact that you have done something wrong. Yes, you can feel guilty, but guilt really isn't a feeling. Guilt is the result of something you did do. What people are often feeling when they feel guilty is they're feeling shame and it gets mixed up. Shame is the feeling, I am wrong. And really, like any feeling, when you feel it often enough, the danger is that it goes from a feeling to a belief, then from a belief to an identity. So simply put, guilt is the fact of doing wrong. Shame is the feeling that I am wrong. And shame can only ever be a feeling. It can never be a fact for reasons that we're about to explore. But if we go back to Genesis 3, 7, when the Bible says that Adam and Eve felt shame, like feelings do, that shame influenced them to do something. Primarily to cower. They got insecure. They got afraid. They hid from God. 
And still today, the enemy uses shame in a sneaky way to link your who with your do. You did wrong, so therefore you are wrong. But it doesn't even have to be because of anything you did. Many people feel shame just for being. As we discussed in the first message of this series, because of Adam and Eve's original sin, the Bible says a sin nature was passed on to every human being. You can basically think about it as being genetic. Well, that sin nature manifests itself in different ways for different people. We all have a sin nature that we were born with that looks different and, like I said, manifests itself in different ways. For some, it's rebellion. For others, it's more about the result of a fallen world and the ways that we suffer because of it. From birth defects to disabilities to sicknesses and symptoms that are no fault of our own. Now, to be sure, I'm not calling anybody sin itself, and I'm not saying that any of the disabilities or issues that you have are necessarily sin itself. I'm saying that a lot of things today aren't the way God originally desired them to be because of a world that's fallen because of sin. I know many of you could probably tell me that you've just had this general sense that I am wrong for about as long as you can remember. Some might say I've just felt different or I felt like I don't belong or I felt like there's no hope for me. It's all shame. And that feeling drives people to do different things. Some try to overcompensate for it by proving why they are right with a bunch of vanity or self-righteousness. Others achieve and strive to earn rightness before God and people. Pride, arrogance, narcissism, those are all the results of that. While others cower under the weight of it all. They hide from people. They hide from God. Insecurity, anxiety, self-loathing, those are all the results of that. And I've been on both ends of the spectrum. The shyness and insecurity of my childhood was certainly a result of the feeling that I am wrong. But then as I grew up and I learned that I could do things well, then honestly a big part of my drive and ambition and even perfectionist tendencies came from trying to prove something prove that I was right, or earn it in some way before God and other people. Can you identify with either end of that spectrum? Did you ever think that it was rooted in shame? I promise you it's more rooted in that than you realize. Well, as Adam and Eve story goes, God came along with a covering for their shame. Literally, the Bible says he clothed them with animal skins. That was a temporary solution. But it was nothing they could produce on their own. They didn't even have to run after God and beg Him to give it to them. But it's something that God produced freely out of His grace and love because He doesn't want any person made in His image to feel that they themselves are wrong. Now, i got to stop here for a minute to emphasize that God came pursuing them when they were in their worst place. Yes, they were guilty of sin. No doubt about that. Yes, they were experiencing the consequences of their sin. Sin affects things. One of the primary effects is that they felt they had to hide from God. 
but God came looking. You know, when you think of one of the worst things that anybody could possibly do, they did it. They blew it for all of creation. Yet God came with a gift to undo the shame of doing even the worst thing ever. And all God asked them to do was to put it on and move on. And I don't care where you are today or who you are or what you're sitting on right now, even as you listen to this message. God hasn't given up on you. He's not mad at you. You're not a disappointment to him. In fact, I'd say God's after you all the more. He's pursued you right to this message to give you something that all you have to do is put on and move on in. A gift to undo any shame and therefore subdue all the insecurity, anxiety, pride, and the need to overachieve. It's this, from Ephesians 4.24, put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Now let me explain this for a minute because I know most people who are listening are Christians. The Ephesians that Paul was writing to here when he said this, they were believers too. So to better understand what Paul means, it might help to back up a few verses to verse 22. He says to them, Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Then he continues, put on your new nature, which is truly righteous and holy. You see, for Christians, putting on isn't a process of being saved all over again. It's not about re-earning or reproving your Christianity after you fail. It's about remembering who you are because of Jesus. As I mentioned in the first message, the moment you said yes to Jesus, what the Bible calls belief in Christ, you were made new. You received the nature of God, which is the identity of Christ. 1 John 3, 9 says that God's seed, his DNA, was put in you at that moment. John went on to say in 4.17 that as Jesus is, so are we in this world. What he's talking about is that DNA change that I illustrated through that water demonstration I did a couple shows ago, if you remember that, where your belief, your salvation experience, literally infused you with the life of God so that the foundational aspect of who you are is in Christ. Yes, you have your uniqueness, but all of that, the good, the bad, and the ugly of you was cleaned and redeemed by Christ so that you no longer have a sin nature. Now you have God's nature as a believer, which Paul says to the Ephesians is truly right and holy. So hear me. If you are a believer in Jesus, your nature is already right and holy as far as God is concerned. That's why shame can't be a fact, but can only be a feeling, and why it definitely has no business being felt by a believer. Because nothing about who you are as a child of God is wrong. Now, I'm not saying that we don't do wrong. I'm not saying that we don't experience 
things that are wrong. But I am saying that as a Christian, you are not wrong. For you now have the nature of God. But most of us Christians forget this. Probably because it's the primary role of the devil to get us to forget this or not believe this at all. I always teach, I go through it a whole lot deeper in my book, Shut Up Devil, that the devil's name in Greek is diabolos, which means slanderer. And a slanderer tells lies in order to destroy someone's reputation. In Christ, your identity is truly right and holy. It says it right there. And there's other places it says it too. The enemy's accusations are aimed to destroy that, in your mind at least, and get you back into all the emotions and struggles and behaviors that come with shame. So if I might paraphrase what Paul told the Ephesians, forget about who you used to be and renew your mind to who you are in Christ, right and holy. And that's really what put on means. It's a Greek word in duo, which means to take on the character of something. It's not about trying to get the role, but it's about understanding that you have the role. I have an entire message about that in my Shame Buster series, if you're interested. But really, the rest of what Paul says to the Ephesians, down through the armor of God in Ephesians 6, the last chapter there, it's all based on how this renewal of your mind to your identity in Christ is your greatest protection against the enemy and is the way you actually live holy. And it's all the result of a gift of grace from the God who certainly loves you, not your gift or effort to try to make God love you. So let's talk about these two qualities that God has made us in Christ, right and holy. So much confusion, mostly because, as I said earlier, we tend to link our who to our do. If we sin or struggle as a Christian or feel something that we're told a Christian shouldn't feel, then we think we're wrong all over again. But you have to understand that righteousness isn't related to any of that. It isn't a feeling. It isn't an action. Righteousness is a state of being right. Not like in your opinions. I'm not saying that you're always right there. Lord knows most of us aren't. But it's being in the position of good standing with God. Romans 3.22, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Paul says it again in verse 25. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life. Another verse, three verses later, 28. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. So you see a theme there? Right is who we are because of our belief in what Jesus did. It doesn't come by doing. But one person wrote in to me and said, But Kyle, I don't see how I can be right. When I have a struggle that the Bible says makes me unrighteous and is something that disqualifies me from God's kingdom. When I got that email, I'm like, what on earth could he be talking about? Then I saw it. And the next line of his email, it's the verses 
The devil loves to twist. From 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I read that out of the King James Version for a reason that I'll tell you in a minute. But the devil loves to point people to that list and say, see, that's you. You still do some of those things. See, you aren't who you think you are. That's a slander at work right there. And is it true that Christians still do some of these things? I mean, stealing, wanting something that isn't yours, elevating something to be more important than God? I won't answer those questions for you, but I know Christians still do some of those things. But here's the thing. This verse is not a list of sins. It's a list of identities of people before they believed in Christ. That's why Paul goes on to say, but believer, that's not you anymore. Those things don't define you anymore. Verse 11, but you are washed, but you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. Those are what I call the big butts of the Bible, which you got to shake at the devil sometimes when he comes a lying and accusing. The devil comes with his butts, but you sinned, but you fail, but you feel. But you have a bigger but in Christ, but I am washed, but I am sanctified, but I am justified. Anyway, this process of becoming the new you, of becoming right, which happened with your belief, stripped you of being defined by any sin. That's what washed means. It justified you, which means that it made you just as if. You never sinned in God's eyes. And it sanctified you, which means it set you apart for God's use. And I don't want to get overly theo theological here. <laughs> but the reason I use the King James Version for this passage is because it correctly translated the word are. It says you are washed. Some versions use were. That's not right because are, you are washed, you are justified, you are sanctified. R in Greek is what's known as an aorist verb. Don't get caught up in the technicality of that. It just means something that happened in the past that has no ending or expiration. Think about that. This is why your new nature isn't determined by any failures. This is why you can feel no shame. This is why you remain right in Christ. Because in him, nothing can cause you to be unclean. Nothing can stop God from looking at you just as if you never sinned. Nothing can stop you from being set apart by God. And that brings us to the next quality of your new nature. Truly holy. Holiness is set-apartness. It's something that's not common because it's been chosen for a unique purpose. 
Holiness is not about the food you eat, the technology you don't use, or dressing like you just came off of a covered wagon. Now, holiness does affect things about us, definitely. I'll get into that in a couple minutes. But the identity of who we are in Christ is someone selected, chosen, and deemed worthy to be used by God. I have to stress that. Because for a lot of people, their greatest fear is that they can't be used by God. More these days than ever. That something disqualifies them. Well, that fear gets squashed when you know that God chose you even with the things you fear disqualifies you. And His choice of you is what made you holy. you got to get this. God didn't choose you and then say, now go run off and fix all those things in order to be holy. No, He said, even with all of these things, I choose you. That's the secret of being holy right there. I'll use this mug as an example. Those of you listening on audio, I have a mug on my desk that holds my water while I'm recording these shows. And after these shows, it doesn't get used. Its purpose is very specific. The mug is red, and on it is the Shut Up Devil Show logo. Now, it was not originally a red mug. It was a white mug. It didn't originally have the logo on it. That was added to it. There was a complicated process that happened to make this mug mine and set it apart to be used in this purpose. And because of that process and its purpose, it is not common, which means nobody else can use it or have it. Sorry. Well, when I went to the store and selected this mug and did everything to it to give it its purpose, what I did is make it holy. It didn't choose me. I chose it. It didn't turn itself red or brand itself. That was a process that happened when I selected it. Well, that's essentially what happened to us that made us holy when we accepted Christ. God said, you're mine. I choose you. I'm changing you to fit the purpose I have for you. I'm branding you as mine. You are not common. Nobody else gets to use you like I do. You are set apart by me. You are holy. And here's the thing about being holy. Who you are influences what you do. A cat does not purr to try to be a cat. A cat purrs because it is a cat. Who it is determines what it does. And it does a lot of things that I am personally not fond of, but some of you really are. I don't know why I always digress when I mention cats. Bless their little hearts. But what you naturally do, or what you do, naturally comes from who you are. Naturally. So I'm not saying that God doesn't care about your doing. But what I am saying is that God cares most about your being. Which is why Paul tells believers to put on God's nature of righteousness and holiness. He's saying, remember who you are, because that will affect everything you do. That actually empowers everything you do. So this then begins to make sense of why Peter says what he says 
in his letter in 1 Peter 1.15. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For scriptures say, you must be holy as I am holy. Some people say that sounds a whole lot like a command to be good or else. Sure, maybe if you read it out of context. But look at the way Peter began his letter from the very first verse here. He says, I am writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of, and he lists various provinces there. You see, at that time, there were Jewish people who were scattered all over, way beyond Jerusalem. And some of them have heard about Jesus and placed their faith in him. Well, some of those scattered believers were insecure about not being part of the main group of believers in and near Jerusalem. Basically, they were insecure that they were outcasts. But Peter affirms them in the next verse, verse 2. He says, God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his Spirit has made you holy. So, Peter then goes on with his encouragement because the people were under great persecution from enemies. They undoubtedly faced the urge to want to fight back, to, I'm sure, lose their tempers, have bad attitudes, wonder if God abandoned them. So Peter says to these believers then, in verse 13, So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Verse 14, So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. Verse 15, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. This passage is not Peter warning them that the way to stay chosen by God is to be perfect or follow a strict set of laws. He's saying, live with the remembrance that God chose you, and then you'll live in an uncommon way. You'll have peace amid fear. You'll be hopeful when everything around you looks hopeless. You won't respond to enemies and persecutors with hate, but with love. He kind of ends it there, if you keep reading on, about the importance of love. Well, peace, hope, love, those qualities are a whole lot more uncommon in this world than anything you could do with your outward appearance. My point is here in all of this, You have a new nature in Christ. And yes, with your new nature comes a new way to live. A way that's not about proving anything or becoming anything, but a way that is produced as the natural fruit that comes from being something. Truly right and holy. So I pray for you now. I bless you now. May you know and live in the significance of who you are in Christ. Because you are accepted, may you accept others. Because you are forgiven, may you forgive others. Because you are loved, may you love others. Because you are His, may you live in peace. Feel no fear, no worry, and no shame. For God's Word is more real than what you feel. In Jesus' name. Okay, as I often say, right believing 
leads to right behaving, not the other way around. Everything good in your life comes from renewing your mind to who you are as God sees you. So to help you with that, we're offering you my Mastering Your Mind Teaching series. And in this four-message series, I use really eye-opening scripture, science, and practical life lessons to reveal how to recognize and subdue destructive thoughts and choose new thoughts to create a positive, godly life. This series includes four messages, rewiring your mind, guarding your mind, how to have a sound mind at a crazy time, and engaging the mind of Christ in you. Get the series instantly on four MP3s or mailed to you on four CDs at kylewinkler.org mind. Okay, that does it for the Shut Up Devil Show. Remember, God is good and he is for you. And we're here for you too. Every week on my website at kylewinkler.org on our podcast or wherever you get your social media. And don't forget to consider joining me live sometime on Thursdays at 8 central at kylewinkler.org slash live. See you next time.